Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. It's better to have a bad plan than no plan at all. This is a very important piece of advice that when I don't follow it, I go broke and my life is miserable. And when I do follow it, my life is better. So first off, Phil Stutz, he's run presidential campaigns. He's run senatorial campaigns, governor campaigns, but also the same techniques he's used to elect presidents, he uses now to help hundreds of corporations. Part of his plan is look at the data. But everything you do in life, there's data. Having a plan that's based on data, doesn't have to be complicated data, could be very simple data, is extremely important. How to come up with a plan, how to recognize the information that's in your life that you can use for different categories of what you want a plan about is discussed. Phil is always a great person to discuss, particularly when it comes to politics or business or plans or ideas or data. So here we go. Enjoy. I read the book. It's excellent. And it's a lot different than what you've written before. Like now I get it. And I mean, I understood like the book you wrote before, it was like the intro to you. Like you're yeah. this guy who kind of transformed the way presidential elections and other elections, governor, Congress, whatever, use data and the internet and social media to run their campaigns or manage their campaigns. Like you explained to me from the last book, I remember how social yeah. media and elections evolved and how companies can um, learn from the techniques of elections to be better companies and to sell better products. But I didn't really understand everything. And it wasn't the fault of the book, it was probably my fault. But now reading this book and the examples and the stories, I understand so much more. And I like how in the, even right in the beginning, you tell how you're like, these techniques can not only be used for, you know, a pr electing on the, on the president of the United States, but also can be used for your health. Like you, you describe how you solve this basically incurable disease using the same process. It could be used for picking a spouse. Yes. It could be used for making your pro your messaging better. And there was one thing that was very interesting, and we'll we'll get into this. I'm, yeah. I'm rambling a little bit. There's one thing no, that was very interesting is that I always was afraid that data, particularly in elections, but even in product stuff, data was telling candidates what they should say. And then they would just listen to the data like robots and say it. And the same thing with companies. They would make the product that the data told them to make. They would have the message that the data told them to say. But you really drove home the point this time that it's not going to change your message. It's just going to change so you know exactly the best way to express it. And, and that's a nuance that I didn't really understand fully before. 
let's start in the way it works in politics. So there are definitely candidates or politicians out there that look at data and go, okay, that's what I'm going to talk about. But I have never done that ever in 25 years of working in politics. What I do and the way this sort of undefeated marketing system works is you sit down with the candidate. Now, imagine you're a business owner. It's the same thing, right? But you sit down with the candidate and you say, what do you believe in? What do you want to run for office on? What, why are you running? What, what are you passionate about? Inevitably, they give you like 25 policy issues and you kind of roll your eyes like, okay, no one wants to hear 25 things about you, you know, that you, you think are important. But you go, okay, those are the 25 things you want to run on. Great. Now I'm going to go out and do a, what we call a benchmark survey, but it's much more sophisticated than that. It's an overlay of, you know, millions of data points uh, to find out what the voters care about within those 25 issues. And ultimately, we find two or three issues within the 20, 25 a candidate will give you that the voter cares about to such an, uh, such an extreme, such a, so it's so important to them that they would cross party lines, that they would vote for that candidate. They knew that candidate cared about that particular issue. And that's now the basis of how I'm going to run my campaign. So there's an alignment between what the candidate already believes and wants to run on and what the voter wants to hear from that candidate. The candidate may care more about environmental issues than tax issues, but if the voter cares about tax issues more than environmental issues, as long as they all agree on this, then I'm going to go to the one that the voter is most passionate about. Does that make sense? Yeah, but let me ask you a question. Like, what if there's a case, and I guess statistically this might be hard, but what if there's a case where the the voters and the candidates don't agree on anything? And so there's really no way I've for the candidate to message. I've never found that. I guess because if the candidate is creative, meaning he's not just towing the party line, you know, so he has creative issues that he's well that are well thought out and that he cares about, mm -hmm. then if he has 20 such issues, the odds are at least one of them is going to resonate with some category of voters that is big enough to get him elected. Yeah, right. And so the whole premise of the book is that's how businesses should be starting any kind of marketing campaign of their own business. Or it doesn't even mean marketing. It could be sales, like how your sales team talks. Because here's what happens inevitably. The business owner or the marketer says, we have a great product or service. Here's all about our product or service. Let me tell you about our product or service. And what if the customer or the consumer or the client, they don't give a damn about your story? What if they care about that product or service in a very nuanced way that you just didn't know about? And if you just communicated that nuance, you could double or triple or 10x your sales. And that's what we've found by utilizing that data method not utilizing data to manipulate, to go, oh, the, uh, the customer or the voter thinks this. We're going to talk about this. It's where do you find alignment between, in the business sense, where the business owner has, you know, what their vision is and what the customer or client wants to hear from that business owner. We've also seen this with law firms. I mean, we've seen this all across the board, right? And we've, I've been on here, what, seven, eight times now? We always yeah, talk yeah. about the data and yeah, that's, uh, well, even during the pandemic, you know, I was during the pandemic, as you know, I went from like two podcasts a week to five, cause there were so many issues that right. were, that the pe people needed to know people were scared. And I was having on epidemiologists and I was going over the data every day that was coming from the newspapers, which was all misinformation. And you were sending me these reports. Okay. The, this month, 
people care about safety. They want to know essentially right. they're not going to die or this virus is not going to spread all over the world and kill everyone. And then the next one month that might, I'm making this up a little bit, it might've been about trust. Yep. So which right. authority no, figures this is do exactly they what it is. trust? Yep. And so, and, and then so we had it didn't, like local issues. Remember local? Yeah. Well, yeah, local. And that was very important actually, right. because then what happened was, so all of these things were things I cared about, but I also cared about making people feel more comfortable with what was happening so they didn't go into despair, which unfortunately was a big symptom of, of what happened last year. And your reports gave me, it didn't change what I was communicating or what I believed in, but it did make me move the needle about what I was gonna focus on because I knew this is what people cared about. So if they cared about financial issues, I explained, okay, well, here's what the economic lockdowns might mean. Here's what the stimulus package might mean. If they cared about safety, I would go over, well, right. New York Times just said there's gonna be 100 million deaths. The reality is there's gonna be yeah. you know, this many and here's the math and why. And so all of these were things I cared about and researched, but your data told me where people needed the most, they needed the, not the most information, maybe the most comfort in some way. And, and not that I was only saying things to make them comfortable, but I was going in the direction where this is what they needed to know about. This, these were, this is where the misinformation was, but Phil says local issues are important. So I'm going to talk about what this means to their local communities. Totally agree. Yep. You, you've nailed it. It's, um, it's not trying to find things that you don't like or don't care about within, let's say your business or anything like that. It's about just finding the alignment. And so, so many of us as business owners, we get so caught up in how proud we are of what we've built. We forget that the customer or the consumer or the client, they may not give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what it also reminds me of? So I have, a, I have a friend who has always impressed me with this one aspect of entrepreneurialism, um, which is that when you start a business, you have a vague idea what your business is about, but you don't really know who your business is serving and what your business does. So Google is a great example. Google started out because Larry Page wanted to create the world's greatest search engine. And he thought that's our product is a search engine. But when they really started making money several years later, um, what they really were was an advertising platform. <laughs> like his, his business completely was different than what he thought it was the first few years he, he after he and Sergey Brin started Google. And it reminds, like, you don't Actually, really know what your business they're is. They're a data company. I mean, that's yeah, what now, now. now even more, right. So I think for many years, people thought they were a media company and advertisers would advertise. First they were a search engine, then they were a media company, which right. advertisers would advertise on. Right. Then they were like an advertising agency. They were like, hey, spend your advertising dollars with us and we'll spread it around to a million other sites where we power their search. And then you're, you're right, now it's a pure data company. Like they, they make so much money on, on data. And it takes a while to find out what your business really is. And there's another concept that intersects with your, your book. And I want to talk about this in your example, you have, in all your examples though, but like in the pest control example, mm -hmm. you say something that's very important that people need to understand. When you search for pest control company on Google, 10 companies come up and someone could pay to be the first that shows up, you know, and yep. even though you see it's in it, but people will pick two or three to research. And if they all say, Hey, we're the best pest control company in the world. It doesn't even matter if one of them is clearly 10% better, 20% better, whatever, nobody cares, but people will respond to uniqueness 
just something that shows this one stands out. I can't tell if they're 10 or 20% better. They might be, or they might not be. They might be the best in the world. They might not be, but I assume they're all competent. That's why they're in the top 10 results on Google. But the one that's unique, that has a unique messaging will stand out. And that's your five-step approach to understanding the data of that pest control company made them millions of dollars. Like even though it costs money to get the data, yeah, it made them millions more. So they had lost um, almost a million dollars. They'd, they'd run over a million dollars in marketing dollars uh, and lost market share and they couldn't figure out why. And when we got in there, we said, well, what's your message? And they said, well, we, we message to discounts. Everything we do is on discounts. If you have 30% off first pest control service, 25% off, you know, annual checkup, whatever. And I'm like, well, what do, do your customers like discounts? And they said, well, we tripled the company over the last eight years by running on discounts, but then all of a sudden it stopped working. And so we said, well, let's overlay your customer base and track the, their IP address and or grab their IP address and track them online and figure out what changed. And so, you know, we've talked about this before. You can go back and listen to other podcasts, but I have, I work with one of the largest or the largest data collection analytics and AI company in America. And so we're able to grab their customer list and track their movements. And what we found, this is before COVID, their customer base was over 50. Children were mostly out of the household. They had discretionary income. They wanted high quality, like green products that kept their, their animals safe. And they wanted to know that the local pest control company contributed to local charities in the area. And they didn't have any of that. In fact, they were running on discounts. Well, we found out that discounts were seen as cheap. But we also found out that the older client base or customer base that we were looking at bundled services like cable and phone and things like that. So we said, why don't you bundle termite and pest control services and then that's the discount that makes the mm. consumer feel smart and instead of saying discounts discounts were looked at by the customer as cheap and unsafe and not trustworthy um and so they were willing to pay more they had green products they hadn't marketed those green products so we started marketing the green products we went through the entire five-step process i think in month six they had the best month in the history of their company the reason being is not because i had uh, I did something personally uh, that was magical. We just followed the data, eliminated their risk every single step of the way. And within six months, they had the best month. The last thing I'd say is this. Yeah, they had to spend some money up front to figure that out. But they had spent over a million dollars on a losing marketing campaign. So yeah. what's more important? Is it to find out what works from the beginning and do it right once or is it better to just guess and hope it works? And when it doesn't and you're out hundreds of thousands of dollars to go, okay, I'll get it right this time. And what I'm trying to teach in the book is you've got to follow a systematic data-backed approach to your marketing. You know why, James? There, uh, Jonah Berger, I don't know if you ever interviewed him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wrote the book Contagious. He's been on the, been on the podcast for Contagious. Yes, uh, so, so a great book. But he has a, uh, a stat out there that we are seeing up to 10,000 ads per day, online and offline, each person. 10,000 ads a day, online and offline. So if you're listening to this, my question is, are you really breaking through the clutter? Is your message really breaking through the clutter? Because to round back to what James said, nobody is going to buy uh, hire a pest control service because they're bundling services or they contribute to charities in the local community or they have green products. No, they want bugs dead. That's the only reason they're hiring a pest control company. I got to get the bugs dead. 
Then when they go Google and the three top three performers, you know, show up on the Google search on Google search, then that's when it counts. That's the what's the difference that makes the difference now that they have three in front of them, three companies in front of them that they're going to choose. And that's what the magic that I'm trying to figure out when I'm looking at data. Yeah, and so like you said, if you if they care about they might care about five different things and the pest control company might say, okay, one of those things we have, then you can change your messaging accordingly. And in politics, you gave an example from the 2016 primaries, the Iowa caucus, specifically the debate, the debate mm. before then, yeah. how, you know, um, and, and you, uh, I, I even forget what happened in that caucus, but like Ted I'll Cruz very specifically used data to figure out what to say about Donald Trump. Yeah, so actually we were working for a super PAC uh, supporting Ted Cruz. And we ended up uh, doing a deep dive into the voter data of Iowa. And we realized that exploiting Donald Trump's New York background was going to hurt him in Iowa. So we knew we had to make some ads. Now, we weren't working specifically for Cruz. So this is just different in politics. You you know, you can work for PACs or candidates or committees like the Republican National Committee or the Democratic National Committee. So there's a bunch of different entities that you work for. For this one, we work for a PAC. So we were kind of in charge of everything. We did. We were not allowed legally to, um, to coordinate with the Cruz campaign. So we just did our five steps. We just did it on our own. And we knew that Trump had an Achilles heel in Iowa, and that was that he was from, from New York. And then when we did uh, we produced a, a, you know, a strategic plan. And in part of that strategic plan, we did some research and we found a quote from Trump on Meet the Press from years before where he basically eviscerated the state of Iowa and said he had New York values. He didn't have Iowa values. Oh my God. And so we that... said, oh my God, we got gold. So we decided, we created the brand around that, that video. And then uh, we, you know, we waited. Uh, there was a, a debate. Trump skipped the debate in Iowa, uh, and then Ted Cruz ripped ripped his head off in the debate, even though he wasn't there about, you know, New York values and Iowa values. And he was talking about this quote because we leaked it out to the press. Then the Cruz campaign saw it, and then Cruz used it in the debate. Right? Okay. So uh, then that was that became a huge story, and then we captured that whole thing, and we had this uh, ad that we produced called the Cruz Mic Drop. And Cruz like eviscerates Trump from the debate stage where Trump decided not to show up. And it was, you know, it's basically said, you know, uh, Donald has New York values. And I, if the ad is incredible, if you see it, I'm not giving it justice right now. But um, that ad ran uh, right before the election and Trump ended up losing Iowa. He didn't lose a lot of states. He lost Iowa. Um, he lost it to Ted Cruz. I'm not saying we are to credit for that. I'm saying we're part of the credit for that. But uh, in the end, the Cruz mic drop ad won best presidential ad for the entire campaign. That one ad we did in the Iowa caucuses for a super PAC won basically multiple national awards for being the best ad of all presidential campaign ads. So what's interesting in a lot of these examples is first, things change. Like, Discounts worked forever for the pest control company, and then suddenly they didn't work. And data will tell you quicker than anything else why something is no longer working. Like, because I think a lot of people will say, but this has always worked. I'm, I'm not resting until it keeps on working. And that's the wrong approach. Kind of you, have to, you have to be flexible and data-driven sounds machine-like, but actually it's the, it's the human approach, which is that things change. Let's find out what humans really think now. 
as opposed to just robotically, you know, repeating what, what, you know, some data says is important. And, you know, the other thing is, is that uniqueness is important and there's no way to really know the answers about what people are thinking unless you study it. Like we can, we can guess all we want. It's just like Larry Page saying, well, people will pay for this as a search engine. I don't know what he was thinking, but a lot of assumptions about business and that you make about life could just be wrong until you really study it. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I just think here's the thing I, I'm going to I'll say this over and over. Um, there are people, there are businesses out there. The successful ones are, are, run a, are running a sophisticated systematic approach, whether it's in their business or in their marketing or whatever, they know that we are seeing 10,000 ads per day offline and online. They know that they're not just throwing up a bunch of ads and hoping it works. That doesn't work. You're going to lose every time. You can't win. The game is rigged against the marketing game is rigged against you right now in the corporate world. It's just rigged against you. And my whole approach is like, how do you figure out a way to rig it for you? And that's the the whole premise behind the book is like, you know, there's so many times like people come to me and they say, I want to be an influencer. And I'm like, Okay, well, that's great. And they're like, yeah, I mean, I write a blog and uh, I do videos on YouTube. And I'm like, and how long have you been doing that? Two years. How many followers do you have? 50. And I'm like, okay, well, the people that have millions have, they, there, there is a systematic approach that they take. They build partnerships, they write books, they get their stuff out there, they spend tons of money. I mean, I know influencers right now that are spending 100, 200, $300,000 a month to get followers. They're losing a ton of money, but they get the followers and then they leverage it into business or they leverage it into endorsements or they leverage it to get people to an event. And then they triple and quadruple double down, you know, on sales at the event. Like that's the point. They get the followers, they pay exponentially more than they should, but they leverage it. it like, you know, this, like there's a systematic approach. Well, what are they spending the money on though? to get people into their funnel and it's costing them a ton of money, but they eventually know eight steps down the road that ROI is going to turn around. They know this, they've done it. They have a systematic approach to it. This is the same thing with business right now. And I've walked through this in the book. I talk about the first sale that you should be working on is to get people to click through to your website and look through and, and see who you are. 99% of people aren't going to buy your product or service on day one, seeing one ad. You know, like right. that's just not the way it works. You got to build a relationship. The smart marketers know that. So I tried and, and, and tempted to lay out the systematic approach that you got to follow to be successful. Here's the crazy thing. Um, every single company that has worked, that has followed the system that we've, we've worked with has grown their bottom line. But there have been plenty of companies that say, yeah, we want to do it. I call this interested versus committed in the book. They go, oh, I'm interested in that. But then they get through, you know, the third step or the fourth step and they go, man, this is hard. This is hard work. And I'm like, yeah, like trying to win the game of marketing that changes every single day is hard work. If you're not committed to it, don't spend money on it. Like you got to be committed to it. And so what I, this book is more or less for the people that are like, I know I'm committed to winning the game of marketing because it's just too complicated right now. It's too complicated. But Phil, I want to stress that this book is not, like an ad for your company that you, 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 I like how you apply it to real personal issues as well, that, that, that it's the systematic approach and the respect for 
information and data that that's really important here. And you give five steps. Anybody can do the steps that yes, they don't have to, I'm not saying that like that work with me. I'm saying the stories I tell are about the people we've worked with because I can prove their success. Right. But what I tried to lay out is how you can do it. Even if you don't hire a marketing agency, this is how you can follow those five steps and be successful. The title is The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula That Elects Presidents. And it really is a secret formula that elects presidents, as you've proven. But, you know, the five steps, I'll just read them. Step one, take a deep dive into your target market, customer, client data. Step two, build your data back strategic marketing plan. Step three, create your data back messaging and creative brand. Step four, test your data back messaging to prove it will work. Step five, launch your data back marketing campaign. And then you also have a, a great chapter here, 20 proven tactics you should utilize. Yeah. And I will say that your ideas have worked for me personally without me having to spend any money Correct. with you. Right. And the reason is, is because like, if I write an article, as an example, you, you mentioned like a blogger who has, who wants to be an influencer. Okay. I've been writing in one form or other professionally for 20 years. I'm able, I'm very data oriented. So I'm able to see, I write an article, I put it out there and I'll, I'll say, Hey, if you like this, click on this link, either follow me on Twitter, come to my blog, whatever. So I'm able to test which articles work, which articles don't work, which titles work, which call to action messages work. Yep. So there's lots of things. There's lots of ways to create, let's call them experiments in your life that if you do them, you'll know more, you'll have data. It's not, might not be everyone's credit card data, what they're spending at the supermarket, but you'll have data that's useful to you. And so let, let's go into these step-by-step, -step, your stories, but then also how someone listening to this, who's not gonna spend a lot of money can also use this. So step one, take a deep dive into your target market slash customer yeah. slash client data. So if you don't have right money to, to invest and in understand what your target market thinks, there are tons of ways to do it. By the way, there are some inexpensive companies out there that you could work with. But, but yeah, I'm not, but I'm like a, a guy, like I'm not gonna. Right. So buy a you company. can, if you're trying to figure out, you can do a survey monkey to your uh, to your clients or your customers and ask them deep dive questions. You can go into Google Analytics and look at your statistics. You can go into Facebook Analytics and find out what's going on. Just, there are lots of different ways, if you're creative, to understand what's driving, like you. Just like me, when I write to my subscribers, I have learned over three years of writing every single two weeks to them, right, that there are certain topics that they want, certain ideas they want to know more on, things that they want to learn from, things they want to utilize. Like, you know, like I wrote in the back of the book, 20 tactics that will grow your ROI and don't, don't cost you a dime, right? There, you can do all of these things. I know just from my own experience that that's what people really want from me is give me the ideas that I can try out. That's all data. Go try all those things. You don't, you don't have to be the most sophisticated in the world. You can do anything, but you've got to get a better understanding of how the customer thinks. I actually worked with a, a, this guy. I have, helped him for free. He was starting a t-shirt company and he was out in LA, the support of the pandemic. And he's like, what should I do? How do I get data? I, don't have, I can't afford it. And I'm like, 
okay, where are you selling your shirts right now? And he's like, I'm selling them over by the beach. Like, and, you know, and I'm like, cool. Then everybody that walks by, give them, you know, if, I'll give you a free t-shirt if you buy one, but would you answer one question? And, you know, try to get as much information as possible. You've just got to be a little bit of innovative here. But there are a lot of free tools out. I mean, honestly, Google and Facebook being the easiest. SurveyMonkey well, being the easiest too. Um, fa Facebook's great because you can make an ad with a $20 budget and you can make two ads. One selling right. the pest control green products. The other one selling pest control discounts. And you can, even if you don't have anything that the ads click to, you can still see how many clicks they got. And $20 is not going to hit a lot of people. So it's not, you're not going to upset that many people, but you'll be able to see, oh, this one had more than the other one. So this is what I should focus on. Yeah, that got my book uh, banned on Facebook by doing that. But yes. Uh, I, I did it for the, and Tucker knows this because, uh, what, you know, you worked with uh, Scribe, which yeah. is Tucker's company. Uh, Tucker and I did this for the title, Choose Yourself. Yeah. Well, and I, I did it to me. They said, <laughs> Facebook uh, banned me. But uh, so, we can get Facebook's into that banning later. a lot of people. Yeah, but um, but there's a lot of different ways. Look, I uh, I post most of my blog uh, entries on Medium. Medium gives me an, uh, a very a litany of uh, of statistics to look back, see what people click through, see where the platforms that I'm getting the most clicks on. I mean, one of the things that we do within our company though is I can tell you what social media platforms your customers are on in a chronological order. But if I'm on Medium, they'll do the same thing. They'll tell me what platforms are working the best. That's free, right? Yeah. Um, and, and like, for instance, why is it important? Okay, so we work, and I tell this story in the book, but we worked with a Instagram influencer that also sold hair care products. And she had built a million-dollar business selling hair care products. And she came to us and said, I, I'd like to switch over and start building my brand on Facebook. I've never done it. It's always been on Instagram. And I said, why do you want to go to Facebook? She said, well, it just seems like Facebook owns Instagram. It's a natural place to go. And I said, well, let's figure that out first. So we overlaid her customer base online. We tracked those movements for about a month in the future. We got 90 days in the past we can track. We grabbed their IP addresses, saw all their movements, figured out what they were doing, and we produced this report. And in the report, we found out that Facebook was the number four performing platform for her customer base that she was about to go spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars over time trying to build uh, a social media following that she could sell products to on a platform that was the fourth-rated platform for her. Number one, number two, actually, was Instagram. So she had built this massive business on the number two performing platform. The number one performing platform for her was Pinterest because her, audience, her customer base was 99% women because she was selling hair care products. And so she went, oh my God, you know, like I almost uh, invested in, in all of this. And so that's the point of looking at this data. That's why, you, you know, you've got to figure that out one way or another. If you're looking at your Facebook statistics and you're not getting any traction because Facebook has pretty much made it impossible to organically do anything, then you need to figure out the other platforms you need to go on, right? It could be Snap, it could be TikTok, it could be uh, Instagram, but what is it? Where are people motivated the most to consume your content or buy your service and products? And so let's say I have a small company, like let's say I have a restaurant and I'm trying to figure out how to up my, uh, audience. What, what's a tactic I should use or how do I, how do I use this approach? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would, uh, do you want the sophisticated or the unsophisticated? <laughs> Both. All right. 
The sophisticated is I would probably geofence your entire neighborhood or that zip code. And then I would pull the data of everybody that would probably be a target uh, to come into your restaurant. So I don't know what kind of food you're serving, but let's say it's Italian. I would, you know, pull all the demographics of people that have certain income brackets um, and live within certain geographic regions and eat out all the time because we can track those by credit card purchases. And and then I'm going to find out what moves them to come to like a new restaurant. Are they Do they value like status and significance? Okay, well then I want to promote what great chef we have. Do they value creativity? Okay, well then my plates and my food need to look incredibly good when they come in. All of that is trying to figure out what the customer, what's going to drive the customer to get in there when you're trying to market to them, right? So that's that's how I would look at that on the sophisticated side. And then what about the unsophisticated side? Yeah, I would sit outside the restaurant and hand out, uh, you know, come to our restaurant, buy one, get one free. I you know, uh, let us know what you think. Take a survey at the table or the the waiters or waitresses could say, hey, can I ask you a quick question before you get out of here? Uh, what was the best dish you had today? And then trying to figure out from the inside, what is it that we need to be promoting the most? What are people buying the most? You can probably get a ton of data just after you open to figure out what people are buying the most, what's driving traffic. Is it an older crowd? Is it a younger crowd? And then you can then go market to that demographic and those people and the dishes that they buy the most. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And again, if you are in a small town and you're one of the few restaurants, it's easy to kind of target that, that people just living in that town. Yep. So, uh, uh, all right. So, so the next step is, well, first of all, I, I'm curious, you mentioned in there how you found us, find a spouse or no, let's talk about your, your illness. Okay? okay. Cause I don't think we've ever talked about that sure. or we've talked about it a little on a little the podcast. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about it and how you use this systematic approach to basically be healthy. Well, I use the systematic approach to having a healthier and better lifestyle. The The illness that I have is a totally different uh, track, but let me talk about sort of the healthier lifestyle of this. So um, yeah, I have this esophageal disease. It's called achalasia. Basically, the muscles and the nerves in my esophagus do not work. Uh, and and it's because you smoke too much crack when you were younger. Well, I, I probably shouldn't have done that, but I did. But anyway, no, I didn't do that. No, but, just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, they don't work. They'll never work. They're, uh, according to doctors, they're dead forever. Okay, so I uh, took an entrepreneurial approach. Long story short, I've, um, I'm now in the first ever human, one-man human clinical trial to use stem cells to try to cure this disease. Okay, that's what I'm, that's, the track that doesn't have anything to do with the five-step undefeated market system. But the other side of this is in order to keep my esophagus intact so I can try these clinical trials and try these crazy stem cell treatments, um, I need to have a healthier lifestyle because most likely uh, I had an autoimmune response that, that attacked my esophagus and killed it. And so um, there's a friend of your show named Dr. Stephen Gundry who wrote a book called The Plant Paradox um, many yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, we talked about it on the I, show. I read the book. I thought, it, I thought it was life-changing when I read it, and I got on The Plant Paradox diet. I've been on it for four years now. I haven't gotten off of it. It's you know, an anti-lectin and all that. Um, and I just love the guy, uh, Dr. Gundry, so much that I was like, I gotta, this guy's got to treat me. So once I got on the diet and it worked, 
And I actually removed all prescription medication for what doctors call an, is an incurable disease. I don't like to call it that, but doctors do. Um, I have, I, to this day, I don't take any prescription medication for a, a, a basically an incurable, what doctors call an incurable disease. And I called him and I, you know, I got in touch with him and I said, uh, this diet saved, saved my life. I'd like to work with you. And he said, great, let's work together. And so the way he approached the five-step system was this. He said, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take, uh, we're going to take blood tests and we're going to check 127 different, um, you know, mm-hmm. blood test factors that, that you have in your system right now. So we did. And the hundred, you know, I had 127 different results of various things, whether I was in a dangerous zone with my blood, a neutral zone, or a really healthy zone. So we got all this data back. So that's step one. We did the blood test. We got all the data back. Step two, Dr. Gundry does a call with me and says, let's put together a plan for you, a long-term plan for you. And so so step two is create your data back marketing plan. Correct. So we did, right? And step three is like, Philip, you know, step three, by the way, is to create your brand or rebrand your, you know, marketing around what the data says. Well, for him, he was like, Philip, you know, uh, not only in your plan do you need to take certain supplements, I'll tell you about that in a sec, but you also need to take uh, yoga and meditate and work out and you need to have like my brand, my body. It needs to be on, you know, it needs to be in a great space. Like I need to be in healthy, right? And I need to get my brand, my personal body in shape. I need to get my brain, my brain in place like and, and be, you know, calm and all that kind of stuff. So that was step three. Step four was, uh, Dr. Gundry basically laid out about 50, 60 different supplements that I needed to take every day. So the step four is, is testing. And so we knew what the blood test said. We knew what the data said. And he said, and to overcome these bad monikers and these neutral monikers, I want you to take all of these supplements, right? And then, so that was step four. So we decided to test everything out to see if it worked with these supplements and not prescription meds. Um, we went back and did all of these tests six months later and checked how the supplements had worked. And we found where my you know, blood had improved in certain monikers, uh, where it had stayed neutral, um, but everything moved in the right direction. So for us, step five is, okay, now that we know what supplements are going to work, we're going to, this is it. You launch. You, you, this is what you're going to do going forward. So I've done this now for four years with him. And I'm I'm taking seventy supplements a day. Oh my gosh! Um, and by the way, when your esophagus doesn't work and you have to take seventy pills a day, it's it's uh, very <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. But I do it because I'm in the best shape of my life. And like right now, I've got one of these uh, uh, blood glue. There's a gl- company called Levels. Have you ever heard of them? No. Uh, so it's a blood glucose monitoring app. And uh, yeah, I have a, uh, a, like a patch on my arm right now and it is continuously checking my glucose levels 24-7 for the next 28 days. And every time I eat, it shows me what, where my, my blood sugar spikes. Even though I'm on this great diet, I mean, I could be eating you know, lectin-free breads that aren't, you know, have no grains or, uh, or whole wheat in them, but my blood sugar will spike and that's not healthy for me. So I'm now trying to get blood data back so I can improve what I'm doing and follow those five steps again with my health. And then you also have an example near the beginning about 
how you can use this. And this is more tongue in cheek, I think, but how you can use this a five step systematic approach to get married. Yeah. Did it work? So, uh, did you follow it and go, yeah, that's, that's how Robin, I mean, you know, I don't think I did follow it, <laughs> which is probably why I think I just got lucky and it was just probably why I had a lot of non lucky situations beforehand. I mean, so, think about it when, when you, you're going to go out and you're going to date lots of people in your life from high school to college to post-college. Right. And you're going to get that data back and you're going to figure out what you want and what you don't want in life. What, what is the woman or the man that is like the kind of person you want to be in, in a relationship with, right? You're going to get data back. You're going to look at that. And the second step is you're going to formulate some people, nerds, uh, maybe write this out. I, I didn't, you know, but I formulated my head. Okay, what's my plan? What am I going to do? How am I going to put myself out there? Well, I'm old enough to, I was like, well, I'm just going to go to bars. But, you know, I, I actually got into the online dating world back in like 2005 when it first started coming out. But I started going on the online dating world and I, I had a plan. Like I was going to put myself out there, right? Uh, the third step was, uh, well, same thing as the third step with Dr. Gundry's work. Like I had to get in shape. I have to wear nice clothes on dates. My brand has to look good if I want some woman to be attracted to me. The right. And this is not, this is not fake like you really no you yeah you, this you is really exactly did what i did out. it wasn't right it I, wasn't like you're saying oh i go to the gym three times a week can't you tell like it wasn't like a fake thing no i but i you know i like buying nice clothes and i if i was going to go on a date i was going to take a shower beforehand i was going to get my brand on point right and uh and then the fourth step was i went on a ton of dates i dated a lot until i was 32 and i met my wife and then the fourth time the, that was the fourth step but ultimately after testing a lot uh, of dates, I finally found the woman I wanted and I went to the fifth step and got married and had a family. That's great. And I like, I like thinking systematically like this. You could do this with what investing strategies work for you, what type of businesses work for you if you're an entrepreneur, what type of, um, you know, approaches work for you if you're asking for a raise at, at work or, you know, there's so many different things you could apply just thinking in terms of what is, the data telling me what is this people often try to fit the world to their desires. I mean, like take the case of the pest control company. They could have said, listen, this has always worked for us. We believe in this. So it, it's do or die. People are going to eventually get back to love and discounts. So you could force the world, you could try to force the world to, to fit your desires, but that's not going to work. And it really is what you're in a situation in life. What is the situation itself? What is the language of the situation? And what is the situation saying to you that it needs? Every situation needs something from you. What is the language it's speaking? How can I speak it? And, and then once I understand it, what is it saying? And that language is largely data. And you listen to the data to see what it's saying. It's feedback, right? It doesn't have to mean some kind of sophisticated data system. It's like going on dates and going, all right, what's the feedback from those dates? Like that's, that's data. And then your response to the data is you're being, you're still being authentic and yourself, but your response to the data is, you know, you either have a good conversation or a bad conversation. You either have a good outcome or a bad outcome. You know, like whenever you talk to someone, we either argue or we have a good conversation or it's neutral or whatever. Like, you know, in the 27 tactics that you have later in the, in the last chapter, you tell this really interesting story about Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. And mm -hmm. I didn't really know he was an entrepreneur until literally this podcast and the podcast I just did mm. with somebody else, both 
you mentioned Ryan Reynolds in your book, and this guy mentioned Ryan Reynolds in one of his things, but but you would have more details. Can you tell the story of Ryan Reynolds and, and what your insight was from that? Yeah, and I also say this, uh, and I want to be very upfront. If you're looking for, when I talk about this being a systematic approach to marketing and a book that really lays out how you should be doing it, this is not a textbook. If you're looking for a textbook, I didn't write that. I wrote a book that teaches no, there's these so many things. great stories. I, I just teach it all through stories. If you want to know how modern political campaigns uh, evolved to create the system, I lay that out over a 20-year period from George W. Bush to Barack Obama to Donald Trump to Joe Biden. I lay out how they use the approach to win all of their races, right? And then I talk about how companies have done this as well. And I, I don't just tell them that these companies have done it. I lay out the exact story and the exact steps that they utilized to do this. So, um, and then separately, you're right. I have uh, 20 tactics at the end of the book that are super are free and easy, and everybody should be utilizing a lot of these. And one of them was, uh, I talk about the effect of, you know, this could be an influencer, it could be a celebrity, but the, the, um, the effect of a, of a celebrity, and then also using humor. So Ryan Reynolds um, bought uh, into, I think it's AV, Avian Gin, and uh, the company Avian Gin, a, a gin company, an alcohol company. And uh, I think he went, and again, um, you're, you're pulling one story out of a 300-page book, but I think he went on Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, he went on. There are many stories. I mean, I, I like this one. I, I, he, I, mean, I, I, like, I like all of them, but this is an yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think he went on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and on there he starts talking about this investment. But then he uh, he gives you. You may want to refresh it if you got in front of you. But it's like he gave his email out and asked people to email him. Uh, you know about the now I'm I'm drawing a total blank. You're stumping me on this, but he asked the the people on you know on there. He ended up getting something like twenty five thousand email responses from that. Yeah, the server broke crashed. the server, right? And but the thing is, it ended up getting something like eight figures in free media. Like people wrote about the story, they went crazy about the story. It blew up the company. Then Ryan Reynolds followed that up and did like a vid a humorous video about how he didn't know how to work email and all this stuff. And, you know, he like then gave out somebody else's email in the company. And it was so funny. And it got another bite of the apple. Well, that company, Avian, Avian Gin, I think it ended up selling for hundreds of millions of dollars. Like Yeah, 600 million. Two, two years later. Two years. And it all because he decided to use humor in his, in his marketing. This is marketing that didn't cost the company anything because they gave him a portion of, you know, they gave him equity in the company. They weren't paying him. He had equity. And then he used his celebrity and he used humor and he did something very unique. He gave out his email and he crashed the servers. He, they turned that into a story. They leveraged it on top of it. Ryan did like a couple more uh, add-ons to that story. And he kept doing humor. They kept, their marketing department kept producing humorous things with Ryan over the years and they sold it for $600 million. Yeah. So, and you mentioned in, in this section, um, how important authenticity is. So he was authentic. He was basically being himself and yes. playful and, and Hey, email me. And then he made, you know, use humor as humor to, to kind of propel that along. Again, no matter how much data it, it, I think people make the mistake of thinking that data means you're not going to be authentic. And I think people could sniff that out. People could sniff out authenticity and it almost gives you permission to be more authentic. Okay. Now I know what people want. 
I'm just going to go double and, down. Yeah. Double down by, cause I, cause I'm into that too. So I could just be honest now about it. Instead of trying to second guess what my audience wants, I could just be me, but just go in this lane instead of that lane. Yeah. And I mean, this is why your brand works, right? You're authentic. You're vulnerable. Your, your authenticity is your vulnerability. And it resonates with people. It's why people want to tune in here and listen and, and read what you have to say. And, but that's, you know, I know you offline and that's who you are in private as well as on this podcast. Like what you see is what you get with James, but people know that they don't need to hear that from me. They just know it because you're authentic. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, like, um, uh, no, no, you threw me off with the compliment. I'm, I'm forgetting what I was going to say, <laughs> but, uh, I had something, some, a real wise thing to say, but it could, it could be that wise if I can't remember it now. But I do think that this authenticity thing people forget. And like all the time you see ads, like, you know, this is the biggest genius ever. And, or this is, you know, where, where the best part. It has nothing to do with being the best. I think people want to relate more than they want the best of anything. Yeah, they want that. That's the whole point, man. I, I let me tell you, that is the whole thing. If you're listening to this, if you're still here, um, it's about connection. When you're in a land of ten thousand ads a day that you're seeing, you're only gonna click through or watch or buy the things that you connect with. And what I'm trying to do is teach business owners and marketers a process to make a deeper, authentic connection with the customer or the client. But let me ask you this, and, and actually I do remember, this is what I was going to ask you before. Why doesn't Coca-Cola listen to you? They do. And what I mean by that, I, no, but I'm going to put Coca-Cola in quotes. Okay. I My favorite Coca-Cola ad of all time is, I think it was for Coke Zero, and they just have these beautiful people in Santa Monica or Venice Beach uh, rollerblading around, opening up Cokes and it sprays everywhere and they're smiling and they're happy. And I like, I want to be friends with them. I want to be in their, their gang. And, uh, and I love that commercial, but it's not really what Coke is. So what's, what's happening there? Why don't, maybe it is, maybe you could explain it to me differently. Like maybe that is what's happening is that is what Coke is, but it doesn't seem to, like Coke is just a, a liquid. It's just a drink. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Coke, and I talk about this in the book is absolutely a data company. They're not a soft drink company or a water company. Um, you know, they're not that at all. They are a data company. And so, you know, I think before COVID hit and, and um, they had a slogan called, um, open a Coke, open happiness. Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. And I guess and then so, several months later the the pandemic hit and overnight they shifted millions of ad dollars to a safety message and their message I'm, I, this is exactly what their ads were. So open a coke, open happiness was a campaign that they were running before the pandemic. But because they know exactly what their customers are going through in real time every single day that by April, they had a new ad campaign up and it said, staying apart is the best way to stay united. Okay, that is cheesy. I get it. Mm. You know, that I get no, it. No, no, but that's, but, that's but, good. That's changing the message and that was They resonating. immediately changed the message. Uber um, uh, did the same thing. Uber was out uh, t 
touting their uh, their black car service and all of these ads before the pandemic. It was um it was very aspirational, right? And after it was over uh, or during the pandemic, they moved and it was like, you know, trying to keep you safe uh, one drive at a time. Like it was their message changed overnight. Their message changed. And so they knew this because Uber is a data company. They know what the consumer wants. And this goes back to any business owner out there that doesn't think like the, the great, if you want to model, just look at how the ads are changing. Facebook did the same thing. They, they were running ads like crazy last April and May of 2020 about staying safe and, and doing this together and you know it, all that stuff. They, they never ran ads like that beforehand. So it's a tell, right? Uh, you played poker, it's a tell. Like you can look at these big companies and when you see them shift their message, you go, okay, something happened. Maybe I need to shift mine. Um, well, let me ask you a question. Like, let's say you could somehow track uh, which companies are changing, have suddenly changed their message by the greatest amount in the past month. And, and then you do the data analysis as if you were that company and you see, oh, they just changed their message. Like Coke just changed their message from being happy to um, being a part keeps us united uh, because the data is telling them this is what people care about. And what if you use that as a stock picking strategy? Do you think that will work? Finding the companies that are basically, mm. that you can tell are best attuned to, to the data around them and invest in them. Do you think that would work as like, almost like you could start a hedge fund based on that? Yeah, that's super interesting. Never thought of an idea like that, but I definitely, I, I, this is what I do We're for a living riffing. so I can pick this thing out like a mile away. Yeah, um, that that is a super interesting idea. Whether you're uh, uh, wanting to do it for headshots, see, you're already doing like a skip the line thing. But uh, but I'd also say, you know, you keep saying like, how can a business owner do this and it not cost them anything? Just look at what the people that are spending, bil spending billions of dollars a year on data and customer data, like when you see them shift, that's that's a tell, and you've got to move that immediately. And so, yeah, I mean, like you know, we've done work for Fortune 200 companies, and we we saw a lot of this as well early in that pandemic, and we shifted all of our clients based on that, all their messages, and they all of these clients that we were working with, whether it was the pest control company, we worked with an organic products company, uh, and we worked with a. a regional, like a, a furniture chain company, but everything we did revolved around what we found in the data around the coronavirus. And all of those companies had their best years ever, not because I did anything, but because they followed what the customer wanted and they spoke to the customer and they eliminated their risk every step of the way. Yeah. I think eliminating risk is the important part here. Data eliminates risk. Right. So again, a, a good environment for this is to talk about investing. Like if you think electric vehicles are going to be the future, you want to buy an electric vehicle stock. But let but you don't just buy a stock without knowing what's the background of the CEO, what were their revenues, what were what were their profits, is it growing, what are their challenges? Like data tells you which electric car company maybe is the best for you to to buy. And you know, and when I say make an investment, that applies to a business too. Like you have this great story about the wine winemaker in yeah. California. Yeah. John Shushard. Yeah. And how he was able oh. to use data to figure out the difference between do customers in California want a buttery taste yeah. or a mineral taste? And then 
knowing they wanted a buttery taste. I don't even know what that means by the can way. I, can I but, tell this story? Yeah, you tell the story. I, I This is probably one of the, my favorite stories in the book. Uh, John is a, uh, a a really good friend of mine and just a, a mensch of a guy. Um, he he is from a wine family. I think his dad started Trouchard Vineyards. So then John's John's you know around our age. He's late forties, early fifties, and he um, he nineteen ninety nine created John Anthony Vineyards, and it's a high end vineyard, and he makes really good money on it. Not not something that's like life changing, but does really well with it, right? And the Great Recession hit in two thousand eight, and high end wine th- th- that industry just did not. They didn't go anywhere, <laughs> you know. I mean, it went mm-hmm. it went pretty flat, right? Cheap stuff was was what was what was selling back then. And so, what happened? You know, this is a good metaphor for life too. Like that struggle and failure and hard times brings out some of the best ideas and some of the best innovations ever. But he was sitting around with a friend, and they were sitting there talking about like what could we do differently. And uh, they they knew from the data. Um, that the number one type of Chardonnay that people bought were uh, basically housewives that wanted buttery tasting Chardonnay. Uh, you don't know what that is, James, but I can guarantee you if you're anybody on here that drinks wine, buttery Chardonnay is a definitely distinctive flavor that some people love, some people hate, but the majority of Americans, especially American women, love bar- buttery Chardonnay. And so they said, well, God, let's create a buttery Chardonnay. So they created, we looked at the data, they created this, uh, you know, a plan to, to do this. And what part of their plan was really smart. They said, why buy vineyards? Why not just source the grapes? So they didn't have to maintain a vineyard. They didn't have to buy land. They didn't have to pay taxes on the land. They just bought grapes from other vineyards that were for sale, Right. They did something really, really smart. That was part of their strategic plan. How do we do this effectively, um, cost-effectively, right? And when they got to step three, which is the branding, they went, well, if we're creating a buttery Chardonnay, why don't we just call it butter? I, I love that. And if you walk into any say in the grocery book, they, store they in America bullseye. right now, you see butter, butter Chardonnay. They're the number one Chardonnay maker you mentioned in the book. That's right. And then, you know, obviously he tested it in local markets to see if it would buy it, sold through the roof. And the next thing he know, he launches it. And before he was even in all 50 markets, the one markets are, every, every state is different. It is, it's, the, it's the hardest. I don't know how people go into that business. He is an outlier. He's a unicorn um, in the wine industry because it is a tough business to make money. But for John, he, you know, launched, once he knew that, the name butter would sell. I mean, one name, butter, that's it. And by the way, you taste it, you go, oh yeah, that's buttery, all right. And so- I kind of want to try it just hearing this story. Yeah, and so- I don't don't even like Chardonnay. And so now he's the number one Chardonnay maker in America. And if every grocery store in America, you know, has his wine. And I mean, that guy's on a rocket ship beyond words. And it was because um, he used the five-step system, but he also- you uh, created a great brand. I mean, the brand is so important, but he he needed to know what the customer wanted first before he created the brand. And I think where I get really frustrated with a lot of business owners is they go create a brand before they know what their customers or clients want. And so I'm trying to teach that story through through John's story. 
It's really important because I see this a lot as an investor in private companies and as a former venture capitalist. So many people pitch concepts that they have no idea if it'll work or not. They want to raise the money, build software, and then see if the idea will work. And data is such a great way, or, or when we say data, it's not like, it could be the sophisticated data you get where you have like millions of pieces of data and you know how many strawberries they bought last month at Whole Foods and all this stuff. Or it could be data like we're talking in this personal level, but they just don't have any understanding of whether their idea will work or not other than their gut feel, which is right 50% of the time and wrong 50% of the I've, time like anything. Yeah, I heard you talk about uh, you guys, you're, you're, I don't know if you're still doing it, uh, but you were going to create some kind of streaming video platform for yeah. for podcasts. Still building it. Right, right. Okay, but it feels like the idea came from doing 700 podcasts and knowing what worked and what didn't. That you evaluated the data of your experience and said there's a vulnerability in the market that I need that that the market needs from my your own data analysis of all your experience. Fair or not fair? Yeah, it's true because Here's the thing. If you have huge expertise in an area and, and you're constantly complaining, I need this, I need this, or this sucks, this sucks. And you see other podcasters making the exact same complaints. And by the way, I've know hundreds of podcasters and I've talked to all of them about these ideas. So stick with me. So that's you, you did it. How much did you pay for all that data? Zero. Okay, good. So you did years, 700 podcasts, tons of data. And you said, man, there's a vulnerability in the marketplace. And then you go, all right, well, let's, let's figure this out. Let's put a plan together. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Do we need to build an app? Do we need to bring in engineers? How are we going to build this thing? What are you going to do? You put a plan together. Is that fair or not fair? I have right, not talked fair. to you about this. So I'm just walking through this with you. Fair. Yeah. So basically I called the, here's what I did two things. I called the best computer programmers in the world. And so I went to graduate school at a very good computer science department. I know the best programmers in the world, people who work, who were Google fellows, who, who made, you know, millions working for the top companies. I called them and asked them to work with me on it. And the main thing they were able to approach is, look, I'm 60 years old now, I'm retired. Um, but here's my young guy who is better than I was at his age. And he can work on this. And then I would call that guy and, and we'd work out a deal. And then the other thing I had to ask on the terms of data is, this is very important. You always have to ask, why me? Why am I getting this opportunity? There's other companies out there. We're, we're, we're talking on a platform right now. Why aren't they doing it? And so I needed data. So I found out through various means who their developers were, who their programmers were. And I looked up on LinkedIn, what their backgrounds were, what their education was, what they studied, what their skill sets were. And I realized, you know, video programming skills are very different than data crunching skills. And in the world of the internet and the world, you you know, the world of data, most programmers are focused on data crunching skills and not low level systems, video programming skills. So I understood when I looked at these resumes, why people at some of the top potential competitors weren't actually competitive with mm -hmm. what my idea. So that was, you know, kind of still validating the idea, but it allowed me to put together a plan, find a programmer with right. these skills and make a feature set. Now it feels like you're not totally beyond step two, but it feels like at some point, all right, well, we got to, what is the brand going to look like? How, how are we going to put this together? How, how different is it going to be from the other brands that are out there right now, whether it's, I don't know, Squadcast or 
all this stuff. And then you're going to test it. Like, not, and by the way, you also may bring in some celebrities to be a part of that. That'd be, that's a huge yeah, thing on your brand. Absolutely. And then the, the yeah. fourth step is, okay, now that we got out there, let's beta test it with a lot of podcasters out there and see what they think. And then you're going to get feed, more feedback. And then you're going to be like, now we know what to do. Let's launch this thing and let's go because we got, we got gold right in our hands. Is that a fair five-step process for you? Absolutely. And it's the way I've started every single successful company I've ever started. And I have started plenty of unsuccessful companies. <laughs> and I will tell you, every single one of those, I did not do that. But like, so I started a company in 2007, Stock Picker, which was like social media for finance. And A, I knew what I wanted. Mm -hmm. There was, I, I, I'm not even going to describe the five-step plan. I did everything in, uh, that you are describing in these steps. So, so like even thinking systematically in this approach is important. And there's always, I think it's important to know there's always data you can get. There right. might be the high-end expensive data like you're getting. And that's really important for, for, for presidential campaigns or for, for, you know, fortune 500 companies, or even for influencers. Like you were sending this data to me and it helped me considerably during the pandemic change the way I delivered a consistent message. I was still consistent, but I changed, I moved the needle. I changed the way I would deliver that message based on what you were telling me from getting data on a hundred million people. And so this stuff is, is valuable. Like again, whether you're going to, you know, spend $50,000 to get data or whether you're going to just do it for free, this approach, a data-based systematic approach, it's important to realize, don't be afraid of the word data because data is everywhere, cheap, middle, and expensive. And even the cheap is incredibly valuable and, uh, and is worth a lot of money. Like me using a hundred dollar budget on Facebook to help me pick the title, choose yourself for my book instead of Tucker Max's suggestion of pick yourself, uh, was incredibly valuable to me. And, uh, you know, other experiments I've done like that. So, yeah. And if you'll let me do, uh, uh, one thing on the self-promotion side, one of the things that we did with this book was the exact same thing you're saying. So if you're out there and you're like, how do I even start or utilize this data? When we created a free data assessment form that you could fill out and someone on my team will literally answer your questions for free in a phone call, not an email, a phone call. And you go to, can I tell him? Is he all right with this? It's, it's yeah, yeah. philipstutz.com slash insights. And literally, it'll- And by the way, this is in the book. So people should buy yeah, the book at the too, back of the book. But it's, uh, it literally takes you 30 seconds. And our team will evaluate what you have and they'll give you advice on what you should be doing. And they'll do it for free. You know what you should do, Phil? You should actually, if given permission- you should uh, put together all those um, kind of, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? Like stories of the people who call you and your responses and why, and almost like a kind of follow-up, not book, but like you'll email this to everyone on your list. Cause that, that would be valuable to know, to see your guys at work, how they evaluate a situation mm -hmm. and all the different situations that approach you. I think that would be really fascinating. Like I would, I would pay well, for that. I would pay like got it a all, lot of money for that. And I've got all the handwritten notes on it because we've done on our, on our data system, the system we have, we've worked with over 300 companies that have paid us to look at their customer base or to build out their customer base. One of the things we did today, um, which was super interesting, we were doing it for a background check company. Um, which is we put a pixel on their website 
And then we, we also separately looked at their customer base. And then we were able to tell the differences between the people that come to the website and their customers. Because if people come to the website, aren't converting, that's what we're trying to do to close the gap. And, but we've done over 300 of these at this point, right? And I literally have done every single one. If you pay for it in our company, I do the consultation with you. And um, I've done every single one. And every single one, I, I, I carve out an hour or two hours to go through all of it and write out all the notes on all the nuances of their business. And so I've got all of them. <laughs> I already have this. Can so you, you're saying can this, you is share a, this is a book. Yeah, I'm say, or I'm saying I want to read it. Whatever, whatever format you put it in, like maybe you can make it like an extra, like, hey, you know, six months from now, write to this email address and we'll send you all the uh, analysis we did for each company or whatever. Oh, there, there it is. You're showing me on the video here top takeaways and there is a lot of notes first off there's a lot of words there and there's a lot of notes on it i mean i yeah i've, uh, well, I've, I've done this for over 300 of these and we've done these from b2b to b2c to e-commerce we've done this for everything uh because i'm obsessed with data so i this is my favorite thing i do <laughs> i i put all my energy into the things i love yeah i was about to ask you because you do seem really excited like do you you answered the question but i was literally one minute ago going to ask you do you love doing this every day. Yeah. Yeah. I love seeing, I, I'm all about like personally, my personal, like our values at our company are what I'm, what I want, which is just give and grow. But I want to grow. I want to grow. I, I'm obsessed with growth. Like every day I want to be, know that I'm growing. So to be able to help other people do that. Um, yeah. I'm really passionate about it, but I am looking well, for a COO of my corporate marketing company. So if there's anybody out there, uh, email me uh, at philipstuds.com and uh, and shoot me a resume because I need an operations person now. We're growing too fast. I I would apply, but I'm horrible operationally, and I like sitting in my office all day doing nothing. <laughs> but Phil, once again, so much value. I it's really you know even if people say to themselves like like I just said, oh I do this, it really helps to see it outlined a real structure to, to this systematic approach, because then you could say, am I following this approach? It's called the undefeated marketing system. Am I following this approach? Because I want to be undefeated. Well, what's the first step? What's the second step? What's the third step? It's good to even stuff that people have done maybe intuitively, maybe they don't do it. Maybe they do it. It's good to put it to words and see it in a book and see it in a book by the world's expert, which you are, you've, you've literally elected presidents and helped every company in the world. And you've been on this podcast a million times, which means by just by default, you're an expert. And, uh, uh, the undefeated marketing system by Philip Stutz with an introduction by an amazing, oh, that introduction we was talked amazing. About that. James wrote the introduction to the book, <laughs> which was one of the coolest things ever. So Thank you, James. And and another and one more thing, uh, I've actually created a companion podcast to the book called the Undefeated Marketing Podcast. And you will be a guest soon. I'll follow up with Jay, but uh, I want to have you on and continue these conversations. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, thank you so much, Phil. And we can also. I, I want to talk about skip the line, but I want to continue talking about this as well. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I think this is very interesting, and I think it's it's connected. By the way, because one of the things in skip the line I talk about is how to do experiments to learn very quickly and experiments is the flip side of getting data. <laughs> so 
when I'm learning something and I want, it's not that I want to, um, you know, I want to meta learn. So I want to, I want to learn how to learn a new field. And you do that through experiments. If I learn this way, will that help me learn faster than if I learn this way? And so data is key to skipping the line. Yeah. And you know, uh, another, uh, person you, I think you've had on the show is Chris Voss. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, the negotiator. Yeah, so I, I was in Vegas last week with Tucker and a bunch of people, and he was out there. And it, it dawned on me, like, he's another guy that skipped the line. He went from FBI negotiator to business negotiating expert in the field. And he's yeah. blown up, right? And um, I am not even close to that, but I'm trying. I, I think that that's, this whole skip the line thing, is it, 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 um, it connects to me because... You know, I, I basically went from political campaigns to helping businesses and Fortune 200 companies and small businesses and startups. And yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, the only reason I did it was because you're right. I had looked at the data and said, there's a lane I could get in right now and, and be effective and help people on it. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, and there's there's more than that too. Like you do things, you don't just think about things. And the, the problem with thinking about things is that you could, you could be wrong and think for a long time about something that's wrong. But like, take your approach to health. You didn't just read Dr. Gundry's book and start trying things. You called Dr. Gundry and then stalked. probably you stalked Dr. Gundry because yeah, why would he respond to you? He probably has a lot of right. people uh, calling him. <laughs> but you told a unique story about your illness and why you felt he could help you and you intrigued him enough that he did help you and it became a project of his. And it's a project you worked on together. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to do things to to get things. You know, it's like uh, it, it's the difference. Like I could always tell on Amazon reviews, for instance, people who actually read something and gave a review, right. or people who just had some kind of agenda, yeah. or or like you know, on Google Maps, everything could be. I didn't know this, but every location in the world could be reviewed. So somebody would, um, somebody went to Mount Rushmore. I looked at the reviews of Mount Rushmore and. Someone said it's a sh it's a shame how they've horribly defaced this once beautiful mountain, and I thought that was like, uh, you know, he said I drove two thousand miles to see this mountain, and it's a shame how they horribly defaced this mountain, and it made me think like, did this guy not know that they on purpose faced the mountain, <laughs> and why did he drive two thousand miles if he didn't somehow know that? Like, what what did he drive two thousand miles for? People just do things without thinking, and you thought and then did, and. Uh, and then made the plan as opposed to making a plan without th without doing the data first. Yeah, and you know, this whole thing came about from, the whole system came about from a colossal failure of mine. I don't, I don't know if you want me to go into that, but it, it... Yeah. So we were working with a company right when we started out. It was a eight-figure, going towards a nine-figure supplement company. And uh, we were super excited at working with them. And we started implementing some of our political... Uh, principles into their business and started doing really well. And then one time the owner said, Hey, help us on Instagram, sell this, um, this num their number one supplement. And our team, um, took a picture of their number one supplement and they were about to post it on Instagram. And the, the owner of the business called and said, you know, what, what the F are you doing? And we said, what? And he said, why would you ever post a picture of the product without a human being in it? And we said, what do you mean? And he goes, you don't understand my business. 
I've spent years building in a logarithm for my business. And if you do one single post that screws that up, my business is going to, it's going to cost me millions. How do you not know that? And we went, oh, sorry about that. I went, look, I, we'll make it up to you. We'll do whatever. And he said, okay, all right, cool. You'll make it up. That's fine. See you. Uh, we'll talk next week. That was the last time I actually ever talked to him because he ghosted me. And, um, and that was pretty devastating because that was a client I really wanted to help. And so I literally locked myself in my office for like three weeks and was like, what, what is it? What do we do to get these candidates elected in politics? And how are we seeing results on the corporate side? But like, what is the systematic process in this? And it forced me to write it all out. And once I wrote it all out and started talking about it, everybody in the political business went, oh yeah, that is what we do. That's interesting. Never thought about it. Like it never been sort of laid out before. And, and then I went to all of our clients and I said, we're going to stop working for you in the way we're doing it. We're changing over and we're going to follow this five-step system. And that was created this rocket ship for us um, in our yeah. business. And it all came from a colossal screw-up. Um, By the way, that is so interesting. So A, it's a story of, of what how you improve. Because I bet you if you even said that to your clients, they would appreciate it. But... I think going to your clients and saying, look, uh, we're changing the way we're doing things. We've put together a systematic way of, we've systematized our approach, but in a way that adds to it, they really appreciate that. That's authenticity. And they really appreciate it knowing this is what they're going to get from you in a very systematic way. Yeah. And some didn't stay with us and, and that sucked because we were, you know, I've, I've invested all my own money into my own companies. So that sucks, you know, from a bottom line standpoint. But I knew it was the right thing to do and I had to be committed to it. And eventually it paid off down the road. But that, that it all started, the whole five-step system came from literally being fired uh, by a company I thought I was going to help take to be a nine-figure company. Oh. Well, Phil Stutz, uh, once again on my podcast, so interesting, the undefeated marketing system. How to grow your business and build your audience using the secret formula that elects presidents. Uh, and again, the title is The Undefeated Marketing System, Philip Stutz, S-T-U-T-T-S. Uh, let's see some advanced praise. Philip Stutz, epic storyline of how presidential campaigns market themselves and the correlation for how this will grow your business is not only a fun read, but incredibly impressive. I've now implemented these findings with incredible success into my own business. Simply put, Philip's undefeated marketing system is the real deal. That's advanced praise on the first page of this book from one James Alpacher. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Phil. Thanks again. 